Hey, this is Chad Brown. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of MySpecialMortgage.com. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents Chad and Nate. over there, partner? You, you good with those headphones? It's and, taking and, me a minute. And that wire, you all right? Yeah, I'm, we got to pull it together in here. All right. Me. And when I say we, I mean me. Chad and Nate. Kyle Reese filling in for Nate Jackson. Nate uh, killing on the morning show with Mark Slareff two days in a row. Uh, taking this driver's seat under his control. Uh, how you doing, partner? I'm doing really well. How about so? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Uh, now that you've got your headphones and wires figured out over there. Um I bet Nate didn't have a problem with his headset this morning. <laughs> I'm not looking to compare you okay. to my normal partner. It's, it's a it's, natural it, thing. It's, it's okay. It's, yes. You know, there's no comparisons here. Um, <laughs> it's not how we do it on this show. You uh, catch your home run derby last night? I did. I you did. did. Um, and that's usually a, that I guess that's my must-see July event because there's not a whole lot going on in sports. Right. I'm not a huge golf fan. It just depends on the names, right? Um, but in July, I, I think that's the must-see sporting event. So I, I got a chance to check it out. Um, and I really uh, was interested because of last year, obviously, the All-Star Game was here. Had a chance to check that out. And um, seeing the energy in real life uh, down in Coors Field and then being able to kind of transfer that over the last night, it was uh, it was something I kind of took a particular interest in because of that. So it was fun. You know, you, you, it is what it is, you know. It is my uh, one baseball moment until, I don't know, maybe the World Series. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not a, not, don't tune in. I must see TV. Uh, you know. Uh, it's hard to track. It's so many games. There's a lot of games. Games are obviously nighttime, daytime. You know, baseball is difficult to follow in a, in a complete way like some of the other sports. Um, and and I, I just don't think it's meant to be followed that way anyway. There's just so many games. You can, and from a team perspective, I mean, your team can have an off month. Uh, still be an independent race. You know, it's just, you can't do that in other sports. The other sports, the importance, particularly of football, of the uh, live and die of every single weekend. Um, heck, in college football, one loss, that's it. You're out, yeah. the, you're out the picture. Yeah. You know, NFL, uh, you know, you got four or five. Ah, uh, man, you know, the question if you're going to make the playoffs or not. No doubt. So, uh, you yeah, know, baseball, the, the pace of baseball, the uh, importance in, in living and dying with every single game, um, makes it uh, less than must-see TV. And the Dodgers, who everyone believes is going to be right there in the end, could lose two series to the Rockies, who no one believes is going to be there in the end, and it not, no, never mind. Yes, you know? and out there in Dodger land, they just kind of shrug their shoulders and go, oh, you know, it's a long, it's a long series. It's, yeah. long, it's a long season. You <laughs> they, know, 162 they, games, it's going to be fine. They get paid, too. Yeah, yeah. So, um, But anyway, Juan Soto, uh, after turning down a 15-year Four hundred and forty million dollar contract. Say that again. Fifteen four. years, four hundred and forty million. I have to get my calculator out because uh, you know I think he is looking. He and his agent are looking to break the half a billion dollar contract uh, threshold. Uh, picked up a cool million bucks for winning the home run derby last night. Yeah, what do you do with that? You, you turn down four hundred and forty, and you pick up a million. What, what do you cash that check? <laughs> 
Um, you know, I have seen the gamut of, at least from a football perspective, of athletes and their concern or lack of concern for their money. Mm. There's some guys who get direct deposit, and they are serious about it. They will run upstairs if direct deposit does not hit by Monday at lunch. Right. What's what's up? What's direct deposit? Da, 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 da. You know they're they're super dialed into it. And I've had teammates who have collected all their weekly game checks in their locker all season long, and then took all those game checks to the bank after the season. That would be kind of fun. <laughs> A little bit. Really? Yeah. Just to see your bank account just jump by all those numbers quickly? Well, just to not need it. <laughs> oh, know? okay. From that perspective. You know, hey, I can sit on this for a little bit. Now, what kind of guy were you? Were you the collector check or were you the guy that's like, eh, just when you got it, get it to me? Every week it made it to the bank. But it, okay. it, it made it to the bank at some point. Okay. That it week. wasn't urgent. I didn't have it, to go right after practice. Yes. On Monday when they I'm passed sure. out the checks, I went home. You know, Tuesday was, you know, our day off. So was I going to go buy some place where I could drop it to the bank or get it in the mail or whatever my situation was at the time? Eh, if it happened, it happened. But it went okay. in that week. Okay. But, yes, I've had teammates. I, I have looked in their locker and be like, dude, <laughs> you haven't cashed any of your checks? No, nah, man. Not one. Mm. No. Pull, pull them all out. Right. The very first preseason check, the very first preseason game check, all those checks – Plus the regular season checks all sitting in their locker. They're just going, I'm going to take them back home and put them in my bank at home. It's like a nationwide branch, man. Right. You, you can access your money anywhere. Right. It doesn't have to be at that particular branch in Texas or Arkansas. Nope. I, I, this is what I do. You do you, man. Right that, on. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of a little old school way of thinking. But, uh, you yeah. know, yeah. It, it, look, each. To each their own, of course. And, of course. Um, but, man, $44 million, I think I'm running to the bank with that. Well, $444 million. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Either war. Either <laughs> <laughs> I'm dashing, mad dash. $29 million. We, I did the math. Uh-huh. It, it, I had to get my calculator off. Right. $29 million a season for 15 years. Do you find it interesting now that once upon a time, uh, every other sports league was looking up at baseball contracts? basketball, and football. Now football has his first $50 million player in Aaron Rodgers. Patrick Mahomes, $45 million deal over a 10-year uh, contract. Um, there's other quarterbacks who are in that 40s range. Um, wide receivers now, the going rate is plus, is 20 plus. So once upon a time, we used to, I, I, can, I can remember having these kind, of, these kind of conversations in the locker room. We're like, man, baseball players and that guaranteed money and all the money the that sport. they make. I picked the wrong sport. My dad should have put a bat in my hand instead of a football in my hand. Yeah. But now, at least at the, the, the upper echelon of highly paid positions, quarterbacks, tackles, wide receivers, um, they, are, they are consistently now in that baseball stratosphere. And in some cases, as you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers, it's not it's not fifty million bucks for fifteen years, but still, it is a uh, fifty million dollar deal for two years in a row. Um, now, is surpassing baseball money. Yeah, in, in some regards, I still feel like the other leagues are looking up um, just because of the security. And look at it, Albert Pujols was in the derby last night. <laughs> you think that guy's not secure? So I, I think there's there's. Still some of that, but I do think that the NFL in particular has had their comeuppance when the last CBA came out. I remember Ray Lewis talking about whether or not 
um, the rookie deals were unfair. You mean Jamarcus Russell and uh, Sam Bradford held the league up. Yeah. And, and so I like the shift that the rookie rookie deals are in concrete. They're structured. They are what they are. And now some of that money gets shifted in the veterans' direction, guys that have been doing it for a while. So I think the NFL has gotten it right over the last decade. So, But to answer your question, I still think they're looking up at Major League Baseball just because of the longevity of it. A majority of the roster is. The guaranteed money, uh, the fact that once you sign that deal, you are going to get every penny of that con- uh, contractual amount. Obviously, that differs in football. Yeah. And uh, the injury rate in football, the, the fact that uh, – you know, everyone's going to get injured at some point. Outside of quarterbacks, I can't see a contact position ever getting a fully guaranteed contract. Our guy Jim Bailey, even in town, he was due ten million when the when the Broncos let him let him loose. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so you know you're not going to see the back end of that when you sign those those big deals as a free agent or you're resigning with a particular club. Yes, you have to know that in the end, your agent's going to insert some funny money and then the deal to to accelerate or uh, uh, grow his acumen as an agent. Uh, you know, hey, I got this guy an $80 million deal. Well, he's $30 million bucks in the last year, and everybody knows he ain't going to get that. Right. It's really four years, $50 million. It is not five years, $80 million, like you put out in the in the media out there. So, yes, the, the baseball contracts, the fully guaranteed aspect of it changes things a bit, but it's nice to see football money beginning to approach, in some ways exceed some of the top baseball money, particularly for, you know, a handful of guys. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, you know, it's it's the, the 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 growth of the game. The owners and their pursuit of more money for themselves obviously grows the salary pool, which then grows you know the the, the money that each individual player on that roster can make. So, um, yeah, it's all fueled by the fans. It's all fueled by the eyeballs and the viewership. Uh, when we come back, uh, training camp is uh, just a week away. Mm. Um, we'll talk about some of the biggest storylines heading into camp. Kyle Reese and I will be back right after that. It's Chad and Nate on Denver Sports Station, 1043, The Fan. Chad and Nate. Kyle Reese filling in for Nate. Nate and I will be reunited after, gosh, I think it'll be uh, eight or nine radio days. Man. Yeah. You miss him? <laughs> I, miss, <laughs> I miss you, dog. I love you, man. Uh, uh, never let go. <laughs> the fact that I'm keeping, keeping count maybe uh, indicates my, uh, my love for my man, Nate. Um, before we... Uh, Broke uh, after that first segment. Uh, I teased out training camp is just a week away. And uh, what are some of the biggest storylines? And um, I think it's easy to dive into, oh, there's going to be this position battle at the tight end position. Um, how are the offensive tackles going to play? Is it going to be Billy Turner at right tackle? There's all that kind of stuff. Um but I'm going to take it, pull the scope back a bit from you know positional battles and things like that, and talk about Nathaniel Hackett, uh, the the culture of this team, and there is obviously much optimism abound. Russell Wilson comes in, George Payton last year, Russell Wilson this off season, Nathaniel Hackett this off season, so optimism is is everywhere. 
Um, but for guys who have been on this team for a long time, that represents a significant change because I think they've tried to ramp it up and tried to have a sense of optimism as every team does around training camp. I've always said all 32 teams, the first week of training camp, they break down some training camp huddle with one, two, three, Super Bowl. Oh. Everyone does that. The Jets. Uh, you know, the what are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, all these things that we teams that we think of as awful around the league, they all say those same things because optimism is about you haven't played anybody yet, you haven't suffered any losses. But for a guy like Justin Simmons, who has been here um, for six years and knows the the disappointment of the last six years. I got here right after the Super Bowl, and you could feel the electricity around the city. This is a football-led city, and um, ever since then, it's just been average. I mean, 9-7 and seven my first year, then since then, haven't hit 500. And, uh, I mean, haven't even, you know, sniffed the playoffs. And so I think all the excitement, all the energy is great, but we're the ones that control it. Yeah. Every year, you know, you're asked, like, hey, you know, how are you guys feeling this year? And you always are going to say, like, man, I feel good. Like, I think it's going to be a great year. I like who we got. But I, I really feel that way. I really locked in with it. I mean, we're being led by, in my opinion, Hall of Fame quarterback. I think there's no doubt. Hall of Fame quarterback. And we got all the right pieces on offense, defense, special teams, the coaches. I mean, the the, the staff here is amazing. It's just going to be up to us, man. Go out there and I don't care what it looks like. 40-something to 40-something, 7 nothing. As long as we win those games, man. Uh I I identify greatly with uh, what Justin just just talked about. Uh, my, my time as a Seattle Seahawk up there for eight years, um, not a single playoff victory mm. in, in eight years. Um, and, I, and so there was losing seasons in, in there. And I, 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 I can feel it because you, as a player, you have to put on the – I won't call it a charade because you're, you, you're buying to it. If you're a, a really guy who's truly invested, you buy into it, that optimism around training camp. Sure. And, you know, the media sticks a mic in your face. And you go, yeah, this is it. This is the year. We can get it done. You know, we got this guy and we got that guy and, you know, all the other, you know, previous years, you know, whatever. This, this, is, this is the year we get it done. And then it doesn't happen again. So I, you know, for Justin Simmons to go nine and seven, you know, one win over five hundred his rookie year, and haven't had a winning season since then. Um, I can see why these guys are excited. I can see why they're approaching the season with such, such optimism. I can see why a guy like Tim Patrick would say Super Bowl or bust. Um, I think that's a little bit uh, overstating it, um, but I appreciate the optimism. Yeah, I I think a guy like that is in a really tough spot, right? Because essentially, what he said. I mean it this year, <laughs> you know, uh, but you, again, you can't say to a fan base or to a media person that, listen, man, <laughs> I don't know what it's going to look like. <laughs> you, 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 you can't be that honest as much as we want you to be as honest and forthright with us. And we want to build that relationship. The relationship is not that solid to the point where you're going to tell the entire fan base. Man, look, man, 97 is going to be good for us this year. It's just you, that's not the communication from you, especially from one of your starters and pro bowlers. So, um, you know, he can kind of reflect on his past. And, man, it, it would really stink to come in right after a Super Bowl and then be, you know, in his own words, mediocre for the last six, ever since you've been here. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I think he's right 
to feel that way about it, right? Because the leadership has never been more solid than what it is right now. And I mean that from the top to the bottom. You finally got an owner. Uh, George Payton is, seems to be pushing all the right buttons. You got a quarterback now. I mean, tell me what else you would want from a, uh, from a player perspective to make you feel better about the team. Uh, I mean, I guess I suppose if I was forced to answer your question, I would say, you know, uh, let's remove the potential over so many guys and make it actual production. Mm. But outside of that, yes, you seemingly have a, you know, a young, promising wide receiver core. All the potential is there. Uh, you got some guys in tight end position who are full of potential. You got potentially one of the best running backs in the league in Javante Williams. You got a good backfield. You got a good running back room. This offensive line can come together. Um, so there's all this potential. So, so if you're going to be running down the want list, let's turn that potential into actual production. But yeah, things are shaping up in a way that's, uh, you can't help but be optimistic. Um, in Seattle, there were, um, a training camp phrase or slogan of the year that the marketing team put out. Uh, one year it was, it's now time. Yeah. Uh, we didn't make the playoffs that year. So the joke when we got to training camp the, the next year was, it is it now time again? Oh, no. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you, 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 you marketing people upstairs, not in the locker room, not taking a pulse of the team, right. came up with the best slogan you can guys come up with, which is, a, I thought it was a fine slogan. It's their job, right? Right, but it did not indicate where we were as a football organization or franchise. So the next year, you're, is it now time again? Now, now, how dangerous is that? Because to me, there's a hint, of, not a hint, that's flat-out cynicism, right? Right. From the moment you walk in the door, like, it marketed people, did you watch last year? Like, you know, you might want to choose your words a little more carefully. Right. Right? And it's kind of, it's, it's funny, but it ain't, you know, because, you know, you're trying to bring some reality to the situation. The reality is, you know, we're a really average football team. Mm -hmm. So is that dangerous for, for a team and in the locker room to have that level of cynicism? Uh Cynicism, yes. You don't want cynicism in your locker room. Once cynicism makes an appearance, um, there's nothing good that comes after Until that. people start getting cut. Yeah, uh, you got to find the, the, the worst culprit and get rid of them. That right? season has to end and then change has to occur. You, you, it's, it's hard midseason to extract cynicism out of, out of the, the, uh. the, the guy's mind. So I remember you know, in training camp, we would do our, our media area was right below the sign that said it's now time. And, you know, I've got photos of me in front of this it's now time sign. And, I, you know, I don't recall our schedule. It wasn't, again, we I don't, I don't think we made the playoffs that year. And for a guy who, you know, won a national championship at Colorado, was in Pittsburgh for four years. Every year we won the, uh, the, the AFC Central back then, as it was called, um, and was played in the Super Bowl, to now have to do the Von Miller where you try to portray optimism, positivity, and how much you love your teammates, and how great this guy is going to be. Um, but yeah, if, if you know, if you put me on the you know the 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 old police uh, interrogation with a spotlight on my uh, face, uh, you know you done messed up, right? Tell us what you really think. <laughs> tell us what you really think. So you bought the bottle of beer, right? You know, so <laughs> you guys were six and ten last year. Right. Tell us what you really think. Um, I'd be like, yeah, man. I mean, yeah, I'm not confident in our quarterback, and oh man, we got some holes in the secondary. There's not a lot of depth on the offensive line. We're probably not going to be very good. That's when the PR person steps in, like, <laughs> that's that's it for the day. Chad, come on, go, go, Chad, get over here. But in this case, in this case, 
I think we've heard Von Miller do that, and we could kind of read through some of his words. But in this case, that sound we just heard from Justin Simmons, that was that was sincere. Yeah. That was an, a, an honest belief. There is a return of optimism, and there is a reason why that optimism is returned, and you listed it out. GM, quarterback, coach, owner. Yeah. Boom. Pieces are in place. Yeah, no doubt. I, I think one of the most dangerous things, one of the worst things that happened last year is you had a three-game smoke screen, you know? Mm-hmm. And and even Shelby Harris said it, don't tell the rest of the league we're playing well. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Ravens came to town, and then the rest of the league found out exactly who the Broncos were. So can't uh, have that this year. Yeah, you know, the the, the, the schedule gods smiled on them uh, temporarily, didn't stay around all season long. Um, Russell Wilson uh, has talked about the importance of this year's OTAs and, you know, critically important because of the um, amount of newness to things. Uh, we'll hear from Russ next. You're listening to Chad and Nate on Denver Sports Station, 1043 The Fan. Last segment, we heard from Justin Simmons talking about uh, his sense of optimism uh, about this this year and uh, after reflecting back on the six previous seasons where the Broncos had a losing record coming into this year feeling good about things. Uh, Russell Wilson talked about creating that bond and belief during the OTAs process. OTAs are critical because of the bonding part of it. You know, the, the part that you get to spend time on the field and there's, you know, all 11 guys in the huddle and you put all 11 guys on the other side of the defense and that, that feeling, that this game is meant to be played within the lines, you know, within the boundaries. You know, it's 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 that feeling of that, and so I think I think that's what we're you know learning, and also too, the part that you that unrelenting belief that is necessary to keep winning, to do it throughout a whole season, seventeen weeks, hopefully twenty one, hopefully twenty two weeks. Well, to do that, uh, you have to create that. And you have to sustain that, and you have to be able to think through that. And what do we do here? What do we pull from there? And I think that's what we're building and creating. Uh, I, I love the the phrase unrelenting belief. If you've watched the Seahawks um, while Russell Wilson was quarterback there, I mean, how many fourth quarter comebacks? How much uh, rabbit out of the hat you know wins have they pulled out? Um, that when he said when he talks about unrelenting belief, um, that is truly how he approaches the game. That is the the culture in Seattle. That is a culture that. Pete Carroll constantly instills and, and, and attempts to reinstall every single season. And Russell Wilson trying to bring that here for a, a team and an organization that um, hasn't had a winning record in a long time. Who put that music behind it? Uh, and there was some music behind uh, Justin Simmons, too. I noticed that. It's a little... Uh, was that you, John? It's, a it's because it's the behind the Broncos episode, so they always do like that dramatic music in the background or whatever to build kind of like a grandiose stage. Yes, so, that was yeah, precious. That was it, it, it was yeah. it was beautiful. <laughs> it, it, it tugged at my heartstrings a little bit there. No, I, I'm with you on the unrelenting belief, but he, but so I've been listening to the the uh, it takes what it takes book. I don't know if you had a chance to check it out, um, but it, it's with his mental coach, okay. his his mind coach. And uh, apparently that's really who he is. You know, this is not a facade. He's invested a lot of time and money um, into getting himself into what they call neutral thinking. And um, that is, you know, it's a new proponent of the game in terms of how you approach it mentally. Um, But I think it's a 
uh, a huge part of Russell Wilson's game. So I don't think this is a facade, and um, I'm sold on a lot of it. Mm-hmm. So okay, I don't know. Are are you a, are you an upstairs guy? Do you approach it that way? Yeah, I think you. If you want to be a successful athlete, I think you have to. I mean, if you walk up to the free throw line at a critical moment in, in a basketball game, and you're questioning whether you're going to make the shots, then you're going to look like Shaq. If you believe in yourself, you're going to look more like Steph. You know, belief is 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 a critical component to to, to sports. Um, I've, whenever I've taught kids uh, tackling, Pop Warner football at any football camp, um, and I've done this, you know, dozens and dozens of times over my post uh, NFL career, explaining tackling to people. I was like, the first thing you got to do is you got to believe you're going to get this guy on the ground. If it's Derrick Henry or Wes Welker, I don't care. You got to have to. It starts with the internal belief that you're going to pull this off. Because if you are approaching a running back trepidatiously, well, that dude's going to run you over. Yeah. Because he believes he's going to run you over. It is a. It is. It is more of a match of wills than it is a physical contest. Do you need some prerequisite physical skills to pull this off to do this task? Of course you do. But in the end, it is your will versus his will that makes it happen. So that that sense of unrelenting belief is more than just, um, hey, I believe we're going to win this game. And, you know, from a defensive perspective and in certain offensive positions, that belief is tested almost every single play. So there's 75 times on a Sunday where your unrelenting belief is going to be tested. Um, and then you need to have the continual overarching unrelenting belief that we as a team, that me and all my teammates, and yes, Russell Wilson, you, that guy, we're going to find a way to to pull this out. If it's by one point, it's by one point. If it's by 20 points, it's 20 points, but we're going to find a way to win this thing. Uh, if we have an explosive force first quarter and we cruise all the way through, if we find a way to pull it out the last second with a last second field goal or Hail Mary, we'll find a way to get this done. Um that was maybe uh, probably the second most impressive part of my internship uh, in Seattle. The first was how uh, Pete Carroll created such a joyous, fun atmosphere to work. And number two was, wow, you guys really do believe that okay. you guys are going to win every single game. And no matter what the odds are, no matter how things are stacked against you in a game, you guys still believe every single time. I thought it was just kind of uh, coach speak a little bit. That's really how they operate. And I know, Russell, you talked about his uh, mental coach, but I think the origins of that is in Pete Carroll's philosophy. No doubt. And Bronco fans can take some, can be even more optimistic because you've got a quarterback who not only says that, but has demonstrated that. If you remember, he threw four interceptions in the NFC Championship one time. Right. And we we know how that turned out. So, um it's the it's the way that he approaches the game. The fact that it, he's invested in that. Um, I, I do you ever find yourself as a player because Pete Carroll can be overboard with it, right? And um, as much as I like him, do you ever find yourself annoyed with like, all right, Pete, not today, <laughs> you know, like, come, all right, it's it's Wednesday, we're in the we're in the dog days of it. Pete, don't hit me with the comp- competitive stuff today. Uh, I loved it. Okay, I, I absolutely loved it. Training camp is never fun. And so for a coach to come up with a way to make it fun, uh, I was impressed with that. Now, that was a you know six-week slice of my life versus a six-month grind that is a season mm. versus Russell Wilson being there for 10 years. After a while, I can imagine 
that kind of starts to wear on you a bit and you want to change the scenery. And, you know, we've often heard it's not, you know, the coaches don't forget how to coach that they've run out of messaging and their messages starts to wear thin. And, you know, there's always going to be uh, maybe, I won't say cynicism as to the success of the team, but there's also always, always going to be guys who are going to roll their eyes in the locker room at whatever that coach says. Doesn't matter. He can tell them the sky's blue. Yes. Coach Mack was one of the greatest, uh, you know, speakers uh, from a football perspective I've ever been around at CU. Anyone who's, you know, familiar with Coach Mack knows how powerful of a messenger he is. But there were guys in the Buffs locker room who we've been in the meeting rooms. They would roll their eyes at Coach Mack's messages. Mm. Not all of them were home runs. So uh, Pete's thing, uh, it it is it does feel a little sticky. Um, but that's who he is. That's his belief. So because it is genuinely him, it's not something that he puts on and off. You you won't catch him in a, in a private moment in his office. And, you know, he's going to be talking in a different tone and he's going to be all low and monotone and pull out his, his, bull, his Bill Belichick. Right. No, he's always Pete. That's he's all always Pete, chomping all gum. day, all he's the always time. positive. He's always high energy. That is who he is through and through. His last words to me when I left an internship was, Chad, you got to figure out if you want to be a coach, who you're going to be. And uh, I left that meeting thinking, oh, I'm going to be a combination of Bill Cowher and Bill Belichick. I was thinking schematically X's and O's. He was talking about who are you as a person, how you communicate that to your, to your team, mm. and how how do you be that person all the time? Pete is clearly that person all the time, and Russell Wilson has taken that with him here to Denver. Yeah, it's a uh, and it, and it was a really successful combination. So, yes. um, cut from that tree or, or falling from that tree, I, I don't think you're gonna you're gonna fare too badly at the quarterback position. Um, I, I guess. You talked about Coach McCartney, and, and this was actually on my mind the other day. Um, the mental approach to the game is, is a relatively new phenomenon in college football. We've seen Saban experiment with it. Uh, talk, K- Kiffin has talked about it a little bit with it. Was that something that I know we're a little bit off subject, but did you was that introduced to you at CU? Was there a, a, a psychology coach, or was there a, a really deliberate approach in terms of how your mind state was at the time? Uh, that wasn't a thing, man. I think there wasn't a, you know, let's check in with every player and see what his mental state is. But there were maybe the origins of, of baby steps of kind of creating a what we think of as, as culture and a, and a common sense of belief. Um, Coach Max certainly did all those things. Uh, we would come in on a Monday and we would go over the other team's uh, roster and who their best players were. And that's where it kind of started. And he would challenge guys in the room. You know, Chad, you got a, you know, all big eight offensive guard this week. I'm expecting you to win that battle. So the, the challenge was issued on Monday. So Tuesday at practice when we're doing nine on seven, you know, he's putting the best scout teamer there to be, to, to portray that guy. Um, so now I've got to raise my game up during the course of the week. Um, and, who he's also challenged, by the way, the scout team guy. Right, he's also yeah. put a bug in that guy's ear. Right. And then, you know, from a schematic perspective, this is what we're going to do to win the game. So on on Wednesday, you know, it's it's going to be a, a run focus day, and we've got Eric Bieniemy, we've got JJ Flanagan. We are going to run the ball off tackle, and they are not going to be able to stop it. And then offensive has their practice, and they, they feel comfortable with that. By the time Thursday and Friday roll around. It's no longer coach's words and the coach's game plan. It's become a belief. Yes, we are 
going to run the ball off tackle, and they can't stop it. And yes, I am going to win my battle against this all-Big 8 offensive guard who I got this week from Oklahoma. Absolutely, mm. Coach. It's gone from a thought to a challenge to a belief to an actual core belief yeah. and every week he did that to us and every week we found ways to keep keep us motivated and keep us challenged um so uh, not quite the you know I'll call it touchy feely approach that we have now yeah. um but the the kind of basic origins of that were starting to come into locker rooms when I was a Colorado Buffalo. We have successfully thrown around every coaching cliche imaginable <laughs> in this segment. That was fun. Yes, good stuff. Um, you know, when we come back, uh, I want to talk about you picking up them sticks. Madden ratings are out. Oh, no. Your stick skills. That's next. Denver Sports Station 104.3 The Fan presents Chad and Nate. <laughs> You ever pick up the sticks, man? By the the video game band. sticks, as we call it? Um, yeah, I used to have a, a, a really, really bad Jones for it, uh, especially in college. Uh-huh. You know, we would, we would play, um, we would play through the night, go to morning workouts, go to class, sleep till practice, get back on the sticks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I had a really bad Jones for it, and I, I, I'm proud to say that I haven't played video games since 2009. Wow, it's, it's been it's been You're that long. Proud to say, I'm it. proud to say it. I don't have time. All right, that voice you hear is Kyle Reese. Uh, this is Chad and Nate. Uh, Kyle's filling in for uh, Nate today. Nate will be back tomorrow. Yeah, uh, I had a similar college experience. Um, yeah, there was you know what was the system then? For you? Uh, Sega Genesis. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and we were all about it, man. Sonic, little X-Men, yeah, uh, Mortal Kombat, maybe. All the baseballs, uh, Blades of Steel, the hockey games, yeah. uh, and of course, Madden. Yeah. Um, and as time went along, um, I evolved and you know changed systems to whatever was contemporary at the time. And then uh, I had the awesome pleasure, uh, I don't know if you remember, 989 Studios. Um, Vaguely. Yes, they were, they were uh, a... Contemporary of EA Sports, um, but for a while they had the best sports video games out there. Okay, um, and I got to do motion capture for nine eight nine. So studios. you wore the suit with the little modules on it. Yeah, so you, it's well, back then. This was very early in motion capture. So you you put on the black suit, and it had uh, ping pong balls. Okay, that were painted with a you know very reflective or luminescent paint. So they would put you in a dark room and you would do your moves and the camera would be able to capture these, these luminescent ping pong balls in your movements and then take that stick figure and fill it in and put a, a player's flesh on top of that. For a long time, if you did a spin move on, that, on a 989 <laughs> football game, that was my spin move. Oh, man. So, I, I mean, I was just absolutely, you know, you have these these goals I guess video games weren't even a goal as a kid because video games weren't endorsed by athletes at that time. But once I got into college, you know, I'd love to be in a video game. Not only am I in the video game, but my moves are part of the game. Yeah. 
Yeah, that and getting my my Nike shoe. I was like, man. Did you, uh, you ever catch any grief about the moves? Uh, like, uh, now you know my spin move is smoother than that. Uh, Why they call Chad to do the spin move? <laughs> <laughs> I suppose uh, somebody like yeah. um, Dwight Freeney could have some uh, pushback uh, on that because uh, you know I had eighty sacks. He finished with like a hundred and thirty. So, uh, man, but that, he was after me. Yeah, man, eighty ain't too shabby. Yeah. So, oh, um, but yeah, my spin move was part of nine eight nine sports. That's I, I love that aspect. Um, but now it's all about Madden. Yes. Um, and the, the Madden ratings are out. And I, I looked at uh, the Madden Twitter this morning, and uh, they did the breakdown of the top 10 receivers at various receiver uh, skill sets. Uh, wide receivers catching traffic, wide receivers short route running, medium route running, deep route running, catching, speed. Overall, um, and so as you go through this, um, you don't see any yeah. Bronco receivers on these lists. Does that give you any concern that the folks at Madden, um, who are more than just a bunch of you know nerds who code and program football games, they hire former players to come up with these maps? Chad Ocho Cinco is a part of that process. I think they got five or six former players who are now part of that process who, you know, go out and talk to players and players will literally lobby this guy for, uh, you know, you got, come on, I'm only an 80 for speed. You know, I'm an 85 for speed and right. all that kind of stuff. Um, do you think this is a, a insider view, a bad omen of this Broncos receiver room? Um, I think you mentioned it earlier, the potential of the receiver room. And no one really knows because um, they've had, average to less than average quarterback play over the last few years. So we don't know whether guys can really catch in space or or, or, or what the case may be. So I think it's a to be continued. Um but when I when I look at the entire receiver room I say they are greater than the sum the the whole is greater than its parts. Hmm. Um tell me more about that. Well <laughs> because I don't think there's any one of them um, if they were all on the field at the same time, that you wouldn't have to pay attention to. Jerry Judy has not been great, but you're not going to flat out neglect Jerry Judy, right? Mm-hmm. Because he can still hurt a hurt a defense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, Tim Patrick, I don't think anybody really wants to tackle him when he gets the ball because he's a big body, right? And Cortland Sutton, um, he's a 50-50 ball waiting to happen. So th- those are things that, honestly... I, I believe scare secondaries, right? Like, oh man, I'm going to have to tackle Tim Patrick three or four times a day. That, that's going to hurt tomorrow, right? Uh, I didn't sign up for that. I play corner, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just think that when you look at the totality of the room, uh, there's a lot more. Again, man, we hate to say this, potential uh, to be to be greater than what the Madden rating guys maybe may give them at this point. So. Uh, that's my two cents on it. But I look at the top of it, and, and it's hard to argue. I mean, it's Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, Tariq Hill, Stephon Diggs, and Cooper Cup. It's hard, it's hard to crack that top five. So I'm not <laughs> mad right. that they're not up there around Cooper Cup, who just had a career year for a wide receiver last year. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, but the fact that in, in all these various skill sets that, that Madding comes up to, you know, create the receivers in the game, that the fact that none of these guys who we – Think of so positively here in town. I've, I've always said there's a little bit of a thing here in Denver where we tend to overrate our own players. And I think every most fan bases are guilty of this. Yeah. But it's I think it's a particularly strong thing here because 
uh, so many times in the past, if you were a great Bronco, then you were the best, one of the best in the Period. overall game. Uh, but now the you know the roster has slid down enough, uh, the overall talent level has slid down enough where that's not always going to be the case. Um, you think fan, the, the Bronco fans have come to earth on that? I still think there's plenty of that Bronco bias, especially uh, when it comes to players. I, I think there's a better understanding. I mean, how could you not when you when you've seen the product <laughs> over the last five or six years? Yeah. How could you not begin to realize? Oh, okay, Shelby Harris is. Pretty good, but he's not a he's not a top ten defensive yeah, tackle. Cox. Right. Yeah. Right. And there's a massive you know divide between those guys and their skill sets and their you know productivity levels. So I think the Bronco fans are beginning to understand that. But I think we're also getting to a point where that this roster now has the talent and here's that word again potentially to move some guys into those uh, top slots. So to run down some of these Madden ratings. For the wide receivers. There are a lot of really good receivers in the league right now. Yeah. Uh, top 10 wide receivers catching in traffic. Devontae Adams, Mike Evans, DeAndre Hopkins, Michael Thomas, which is interesting because he's been nicked up for the last couple of years, and Keenan Allen, uh, a guy in this division. So I'm not going to give all 10, but just the top five. Uh, short route running. Uh, top 10 Madden rated uh, wide receivers. Cooper Cup, clearly. Uh, Devontae Adams, DeAndre Hopkins, Stephon Diggs, Tyreek Hill. You'll see a lot of names repeat themselves here. Medium. I think that's a ridiculous stat, by the way. That's a ridiculous measurement. Short, Short route running, right? If you can't run a hit, you don't belong in the NFL. Uh, but certain guys are just better than that. Uh, <sighs> you, their body language, their release off the line, their ability to you know fool you with their eyes. I'm going to look inside to make you think I'm running a slant to set you up to get you get a half a step on you as a cornerback and then create separation to some snag route outside or something like that. There is certainly a skill with that. It's a simple route upon first reflection, but I think there's an undoubted skill on that. Speaking of short route running, Hunter Renfro, uh, another guy in the AFC West, he's number eight in short route running. Medium route running. Cooper Cup, number one. Devontae Adams, number two. DeAndre Hopkins, number three. Stephon Diggs and Keenan Allen. These names are just going to repeat themselves. Mm -hmm. Deep route running. Clearly, Tyreek Hill is number one. Devontae Adams is number two. Cooper Cup, number three. Justin Jefferson makes his first top five appearance. Number four. Stephon Diggs, number five. Catching. Devontae Adams, number one. Cooper Cup, number one. Stephon Diggs, number three. Terry McLaurin. Interesting. Number four, DeAndre Hopkins, number five. Hunter Renfro bubbling uh, right below the top five at number six. Uh, and speed, Tyreek Hill, clearly number one. Jamison Williams, number two. Quez Watkins, number three. Jalen Waddle, number four. McCole Hardman, number five. Isn't that interesting? We always think of wide receivers at a speed position. But outside of, outside of Tyreek Hill, are any of those dudes listed in the top five? What you would think of as great receiver? Yeah, no, not so much. <laughs> McCole Harmon, they certainly need that in Kansas City to replace Tyreek Hill and help stretch the field. But it's interesting. It, clearly, the wide receiver position is more than just a speed position. Yeah, Chris Carter played for a long time, and he wasn't running fast at the end. Right. Uh, and then so top 10 overall, Devontae Adams, Cooper Cup, Tyreek Hill, DeAndre Hopkins, Steph on Diggs, number five, Justin Jefferson, Mike Evans, Terry McLaurin, Keenan Allen, and Amari Cooper, Comes in at number 10. So not a single Bronco on that list, but certainly uh, sprinkled through with a lot of guys in the AFC West who guys like Pats or Tam will have to deal with. Uh, we come back, uh, Russell Wilson uh, talked about two important characteristics that every winning team has. We'll hear from Russ next. Hey, this is Nate Jackson. Thanks for checking out Chad and Nate On Demand, presented by SCL Mortgage, the home of mispecialmortgage.com.